0: It finally happened. The Canucks found a way to win a game on the road. It's the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Vancouver Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd, joined as always, by my co-host, Canucks Insider Thomas Drance. Drantz covers the team for The Athletic as well. Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. Drantz, I'm not quite sure... How to handle myself here. This is the first time you and I have done a show together the day after a Canucks win in more than three weeks. November 8th was the last time they'd beat beaten Dallas oh. at home 6-3 oh, the night before. That's how long it's been since you and I have gotten together with a win from the previous night to talk about. I'm not really sure what to do with myself right now.
1: <laughs> it's going to be a rare positive episode oh, of yeah. the Canucks Hour. Oh, yeah. After that scintillating victory in Montreal on hollowed ground Habs home ice the Canucks will regroup head to Ottawa they <laughs> took the train last night actually there you how, go how nice how, how quaint Take, taking nice the quaint midnight train to Ottawa after a win they took the midnight train going absolutely anywhere <laughs> and now now having been fired up by you know the the trade rumors, and the rumors of discord in the locker room, this team is prepared to storm through the remaining 59 games like the 2018 St. Louis Blues. Oh boy. Oh boy. Don't miss. Don't miss Wednesday night's game in Ottawa, everybody.
0: The Canucks, they're back. Yeah, 650-650, uh, by the way, is the Dunbar Lumber text line. <laughs> uh, the, the smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Buditz in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Get your text in, 650-650. And 650, 650. I mean, I don't know about you. I don't know about you, Drance. But the, the big the big talking point for me after that game is, you know, how will the Canucks match up with the Calgary Flames in the, you know, inevitable one versus eight Western Conference playoff series, which as you said, (laughs) I mean, we know that's coming now. Like this, this is the start. This is it for the Canucks. (laughs) Let's d-
1: dive deep into the matchups <laughs> of that. That's that's going to be our show for the next hour. I like that the first text in from Gord with the fans already turning out, tuned out. This is the season to burn it down. Yeah, <laughs> and that's from Gord. Thanks, Gord. <laughs> um, look, <laughs> what a, what a great testament though, Gord. Right to where we're at. Right, we've talked a lot about the results not mattering a ton, and doesn't that Just make it so clear. Like, doesn't that just make it so clear? Like, even the day after a win, the fans that are most engaged with us, that are most engaged with this team, the hardcore fans are like, who cares? Who It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And it shouldn't matter. You know, last night was a rough game of hockey in terms of the level of play. Like, three, maybe four clean breakouts a period, both ways. Um, Just a really tough sort of game to watch from the perspective of someone who's looking for, you know, the type of smooth, slick, professional hockey that you usually see in the NHL. Like, that was a tough game. That was a tough watch from, you know, that level. Lots of scoring chances, lots of shots, but really it was a lot of two teams that clearly, clearly need a new direction. One of them has it now. And the other is the Vancouver Canucks.
0: It very much felt like two teams who, you know, have a a combined goal differential of minus 50 through, you know, 24 games apiece or 23 or 24 games apiece, right? It felt like two teams who are... (laughs) At the very bottom or near the very bottom of their respective conference standings in the league. That's what it looked like. And hey, look, when you're in a spot like the Canucks are, you know what? Beggars can't be choosers, right? They they will happily take that win. The players in the room, the coaches, they will happily take that win and move on. But you're right, Drancer. I mean, certainly watching it on TV, you were there in the building, and it sounds like it felt the same. But that was a flat, pretty lifeless game of hockey between those two teams. They looked full value for the dysfunction that is surrounding each franchise right now. I think, you know, you, you touched on something, which is you got to be happy for at the end
1: of the day, other than that Pittsburgh game, just on this road trip anyway, right? This team has come to play most yep. nights. Yep. You know, they probably deserve the win in Columbus. Uh, they, they probably could have got it done with a little bit of better puck luck. In Boston, like, they have been working. And last night, third game uh, in four nights, second leg of it back-to-back. For, for whatever else you might say about this team and their quality and how they moved the puck and how they defended, you know, you'd, you'd have to say that they showed up, they tried, they did their best. And so it's nice to see them get a win. Like, honestly, it's a relief. It's a relief that they just won a game, that they just got off the schneid, that they won their first road game since October 23rd. And so, you know, it doesn't change what we're looking at in terms of the season. It doesn't change the need for massive changes at the organizational level. I still think you need to have a clear-eyed assessment of where this club's at. And if you go to theathletic.com and check my colleague Dom LeCision's latest points projection he projects the Canucks now on on pace for 75 points based on their quality plus their remaining schedule he he figures they have about a 2% chance yep right uh, um of making a 1 in 50 shot of making the playoffs at this juncture in the season and so you know change needs to come and and change shouldn't be delayed here right like there is an opportunity to assess this roster to make hay at the deadline to do what you can to begin to set things right in terms of charting what's next for this club. But, you know, the takeaways after a win almost aren't too different from the takeaways after a loss. And that's just because that's the position that this team has put itself in based on their form to this point.
0: And... We've talked a lot on the show, Drancer, in recent weeks, you know, since this has really reached the boiling point for the Canucks about the games feeling secondary, because we're all just waiting to see what happens behind the bench, what happens in the front office. And, you know, I knew we would have these texts coming in, right? Lucas from Maple Ridge texts in, great, we've won, Benning's plan is masterful again, and we can enjoy another eight years of being tortured. We have other people texting similar things, you know, I hope this doesn't... I hope this doesn't give them an excuse to avoid making changes. I don't think it does, right? I, I From what I understand and from what I hear the insiders reporting, it, it sounds like one or two wins on this road trip is probably not enough to stop whatever changes are coming. Now, I do think it just, as you said, it gives them a chance to to exhale a little bit, to just Okay, reset, settle down a little bit, just have one day off from the constant, oh my goodness, they lost again. That probably does make a difference, certainly for the players and the coaches. But another text comes in unsigned that says the Canucks will win just enough to screw themselves out of a draft pick they really want. And that is... Look, I mean, we've seen it happen before with this team in recent years, right? Where they they string some wins together late in the season, and their lottery odds sink from what they would have been if they had lost a bunch of those games, and fans get really frustrated. And, and you know, we don't have to revisit the whole, you know, team tank battles and all the things like that, but it's a pretty common sentiment that you know, fans are basically rooting for losses, one, because they think it'll expedite changes, and two, because they want the best lottery odds possible at the end of the year, and I, I want to be very careful of how I phrase this, right? Because as you laid out, they're not making the playoffs this year, and we were joking about it off the top of the show. And oh, how do they match up against Calgary? That's all jokes. I want to be very, very clear for anyone listening out there. We are joking about oh, that. I was dead serious. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Serious. Well. Okay. Well. Dranser dead serious. You're uh, so I. Negative. I am. Uh, I'm joking about that. <laughs> but. As much as we have said in recent weeks, you know, the games don't matter right now. The results don't matter because of the larger off-ice story. I actually think for the rest of the year, winning does still matter. Now, the games are meaningful. Not in the conventional sense of we're trying to accrue, accrue as many points as possible so we can make the playoffs and challenge for the Stanley Cup. Right, that's out the window. That, that's not happening. But to continue like they had been going on the pace they had been going... For an entire rest of the season, right, for the remaining, you know, 55-plus games of the season, I really think that would have been disastrous for this franchise. And we have, in this market, people who follow this team have firsthand, extremely recent evidence of the fact that a horrible, awful, losing, no-fun season, it's really hard to contain that just to one season, right? That's the kind of thing that can stretch from year to year and impact multiple seasons for your team. And this, we've talked so much about just the atmosphere, the vibes, everything surrounding this team and how off it is. Playing like they played in the first 20 games for the remaining 60 games of the season, that would only make that so much worse. So I understand the perspective of fans saying, hey man, this season is lost. I just want the best lottery odds possible. But I think when you really think of the potential ramifications of this team being just as as awful as they were early in the season for the rest of the year, that would be so, so bad for the future of the team. They have to find a way to play some sort of positive hockey. Because again, we talk about the environment, right? We talk about the vibes. The best way to start repairing those is to win some games, is to get individual players feeling good about themselves, get the team feeling good about themselves, right? And I don't want to overstate, look, it was a one-win, a one-goal win against a really, really bad team. I'm not trying to overstate anything. I just do think, as much as we sit here right now and say, okay, the games are secondary, the results don't really matter, you can't go through the remainder of the season on a 55-point pace. That would be just a disaster for the Vancouver Canucks. For sure. Especially with the way the draft lottery is set up. It's not like,
1: like you want good odds. But you're not going to catch Arizona anyway. You don't want to be yeah. the last place team. You don't want to have to go through a season that grim at this point. Like, you also want to have some momentum. And and for me, the poster boy for this is Elias Pettersson, right? Like, if it takes Elias Pettersson playing the way he did in the first 21 games for the Canucks to have top lottery odds, it's not worth it. That's not worth nope. it for what it's like for a player of that caliber to endure – that for an entire season not to mention what it does to his perceived value not not just as an asset but in terms of uh, you know his star power in this league his his ability to move fans and move tickets and to be seen credibly whether it's by this current Canucks hockey operations group or the next. As a core piece, as a piece that this team can build around and win with. And I believe that he is that player, despite what we've seen. And I do think yesterday was a meaningful game for him. Like, it was a meaningful game for him because he got that goal. Because it looked like he was having fun. It looked like some of the dog-on-a-bone work rate that he has all the time when he's on his game was creeping back in just a little bit. Not a lot, just a little bit. It's not enough to say Pedersen is back, make no mistake. But there was something there. There was something there that hopefully can be there again on Wednesday. And then hopefully again on Saturday. And then hopefully after a string of 10 games, we're looking and saying, hey, Pedersen has seven even strength points in 10 games. Or something like that. Something that, you know, begins to restore his confidence in his own game. And by extension, you know... the the organization's confidence and their ability to win with some of the core pieces that were drafted from the seven years of misery that this franchise has just endured. And with Pedersen in particular, and I wrote about this at length at The Athletic, you can go check it out. It's uh, How an Unorthodox Game Day Skate Had Elias Pedersen Feeling Like Himself Again. And, you know, the Canucks did something pretty unusual with Pedersen. And him and I talked at length after the game, but um, you know, on, on background. I, I didn't have my recorder out just because I wanted to get a sense of, of where he was at for real. Not not with a player who's being cautious about what he's saying because it's going to be printed. And, you know, the Canucks skated him. Like, he was the low man 5-on-5 five five ice time in that game on Monday against Boston. And he was not on the ice for the 6-on-5 situation. And he was mad. Like, make no mistake, he was mad. Frustrated beyond belief. And so on Monday morning, and this is highly unusual, how much have we talked about rinses on this uh, show, Jamie, on a day-to-day basis? It's the
0: Canucks Hour brand. Who's getting rinsed? Yeah,
1: the Canucks Hour (laughs) brand. Rinsed, total failure, (laughs) fundamental, right? Those are are our words, basically. Those are our, you know, those are our, like, Sesame Street, there's some puppet that's like, oh, rinsed! Anyway, we come back to Pedersen on Monday, and he got rinsed. He got rinsed. He had a... high-paced 30-35 minute skate that followed a one-on-one an extended one-on-one meeting with the head coach and it wasn't an assistant coach that ran that skate it was green himself it was the head coach yeah so that is super unusual for a player who's playing that night anyway it's doubly unusual when that player is a star of Pedersen's caliber and it's extraordinary when it's the head coach running it as opposed to an assistant like That combination of facts tells you that the Canucks are exploring every avenue to get their best player back on track going, having fun, feeling himself again, and whatever they can do, they're going to try it. So I don't know that it's like a direct correlation. I don't want to overstate it, but an unusual game day prep, Pedersen steps on the ice and and look, the fan expectations, the expectations that come attached to his contract, that stuff's been weighing on, right? Right. He feels good. He doesn't think it's the injury, but I'm sure it is a little bit, right? Like injuries take a long time. You you can recover from an injury, but not feel like yourself for a bit. And Pedersen hasn't felt like himself, but from his experience, it's honestly more about instinct. It's more about how he feels like he's not finding the solution in the right way. Um, And and a lot of players, a lot of former players, a lot of current players will tell you when you're in a slump, when you're in a protracted, confident shattering slump, you feel like you're working hard, but you're not working hard enough. And in part because it's hard to work the way you need to when it's not fun, when it's really tough. And when, in addition to your struggles, your team is also going through what the Canucks are going through. And I think it's just all snowballed for Pedersen. Like, you know, he hasn't felt like himself. It hasn't felt fun the way it has for him his entire life. And, you know, he struggled at the start of the 2021 season, the, the, the pandemic abbreviated campaign, but... It was different he was like just off by a degree or two yes you know it wasn't like this this is different and he knows that and it does feel different to him and he's trying to stay off the internet like he's trying to just find something positive to grab onto and you know was the skate it i don't know he felt a little bit tired going into the game he said so he told me told me so um but you know i i do wonder if it Gave him something to take his mind off of everything. You know, like, if you have to manage your game a different way, are you thinking a little bit less about your struggles? And I do think he had fun again. It looked fun in the building. He he seemed like, you know, no one's ever going to be happy to be skated hard <laughs> ever. Right. But it did seem like it had, it, it changed something for him. Yeah. And, and changing anything at this point around Pedersen is worth trying, is worth doing. The Canucks went to that well. They pressed a really odd, like a very like a break glass in case of emergency button, right? Last night to try and get him going. He scored that goal. He hit the post in Boston. Maybe that shot's coming. Um, at this point, it's just about helping him get through, helping him find his game. And I don't think there's a bigger plot line around this team over the balance of the season you know except for perhaps what they can do with the deadline and can they shed some you know poorly committed money and you know maybe what what they decide to do with Brock Besser who needs a 7.5 million dollar qualifying offer like big picture those things matter but even even there we're talking about deck chairs for me in comparison with you know the ship of like the ship of state for the Canucks will be steered by whether or not Petterson can get his game back on track over the balance and what that will mean for the future i say he does it Um, I say that Monday was perhaps a step. He's not back yet, but it was something. It looked familiar. And hopefully there's something there that he can grab onto, grab onto and legitimately build off over the course of Fifty nine remaining.
0: Well, games. and to your point, definitely not back, but that was the first significant step forward we've seen in a long, long time for Elias Petterson, right? And we have people texting in, you know, Chet and Burnaby says maybe the Patterson hard skate was an attempt to make him too tired to overthink, uh, you know, interesting perspective. As you said, it's extremely unconventional. But that, that's what was called for at this point with Elias Patterson. They had to try out-of-the-box things. Unsigned text says, Patterson picked a Montreal player's pocket on the back check, and I almost spit my beer all over the couch. Haven't seen that once this year so far. And as you said, you know, there are other – obviously, there are other major, major storylines surrounding this team, right? But – if you're just looking at what happens on the ice during the games, the biggest thing by far is how Elias Petterson performs. Right? That is the thing to watch. If you're if you're wondering, man, how am I going to stay invested in these games because there's a lot of games to go and they have no shot at making the playoffs, the thing that's going to impact the Canucks' future that you can watch during the games more than anything else is whether Elias Petterson regains his form and what kind of form he ends up finding this year. And just to I, I do want to talk a little bit about um, more about Elias Petterson's game, but just to kind of tie it in to what I was saying, Drancer, earlier in the show about the importance of winning these games and the importance of this team still playing well for the balance of the season. You know, spending on Bowen texts in, I'd rather have a chance at drafting Wright over whatever new age self-help baloney you're rambling about. Uh, Sam and Victoria says, this team is cooked. <laughs> Better odds at Shane Wright are more important than trying to keep a happy room. And look, a happy room is part of it. But again, if the Canucks are going to perform for the balance of the season, like they have to start the season, that means Elias Petterson is playing really poorly, right? Because a team with Elias Pettersson playing really really well isn't going to, you know, be on pace for 55 points for an extended stretch. He's too good of a player for that to happen. So, you're not you can't really have your cake and eat it eat it too in this situation, right? And I know a lot of fans would say, "Well, I'd love for Petterson to be awful this whole season and snap out of it next year after we draft Shane Wright." That's a huge, huge huge risk, and the longer that Pedersen stays in his funk, one, the more likely it is that it just continues going into next season and beyond, right, and two, it means you can't really count on Elias Pedersen, so I get it. Look, Shane Wright looks like a fantastic prospect. Obviously, he would do wonders for any NHL franchise, the Canucks very much included. I get why you want the maximum odds, and look, if this was the NFL... And the worst team just got the first overall pick and there was no lottery luck associated with it? Sure, maybe I would understand it more. But we're talking about just better percentages. We're not talking about being guaranteed Shane Wright. And and Canucks fans know all too well how the lottery odds can come back to bite them. So you really have to think about what the implications of bottoming out and finishing with the fir- worst or second worst record in the league are. That means Elias Pettersson doesn't regain his form this year. And to me, that clearly outweighs the benefit of getting slightly better odds at Shane Wright.
1: Jamie, I, I also got to say this, right? Like, I think the people overreacting to the idea that the Canucks, like, the Canucks hopefully will play at a level closer to their true talent over the balance of the season. The idea that that's going to soar their lottery art, yes, odds, that's a take for people who don't understand how deep a hole yep. the team has dug themselves. Like, put it this way, put it this way, right? Um, the last time there was a full NHL season, you would have the fourth or the fifth best lottery odds with 75-ish points, 75-ish points. To get to 75 points from where the Canucks are, they have to play at like a 51% point percentage over the balance of the season. That's an 85-point pace. How much better, realistically, is this team than an 85-point pace anyway? Yep. Like, if they play to their capability, they're a bottom-five team, probably, based on this start alone. So this take is not indicating... That the Canucks should, you know, uh, that the Canucks will end up in 22nd. Like, it would take a lot to end up in 82nd. You'd have to play at, like, a 95-point base to be in outside the top 10 with how the Canucks have started. That's how bad this has been, right? So, yeah, I mean, I think you're hoping for the Canucks to play closer to their actual talent level, to play closer to a point and a bit per game pace the rest of the way, because that's still going to leave them probably with bottom five lottery odds. Yes. Like with top five lottery
0: odds, I guess. Let's guess,
1: reverse it. Guess what? So, you're, you're still going to you know,
0: have a pretty good chance at drafting Shane Wright, no matter what happens for the rest of the season, right?
1: When you're, when that's your take, like when, when I hear your take, I'm assuming that. And from some of the response that we've got from our audience, I don't know that that's as natural an assumption. And, you know, maybe that's because people just – haven't quite clued in, like, how quickly the season runs. When you are this bad for a quarter of your year, you're done. Like, you're done. And and in fact, even if you play well over the balance, it almost doesn't matter. You're
0: still done. And for me, it's not even just about the winning. I think that's part of it, right? Because you do want the players to to feel as positive as they possibly can at the end of what's already, again, going to be a complete waste of a season, a lost season. For me, it's more about you need Pedersen to play well. You need Hughes to keep taking steps forward. You need Besser to find his game. You need Horvat to find his game. That's the more important things is the status of the individual players and a byproduct of those things happening, which you really want to happen, is going to be more wins than we've seen. It's going to be a higher points percentage than we've seen. But as you've said, I mean, we're talking about going from you know, the second or third worst uh, points percentage and therefore the second or third best lottery odds to, you know, four, five, six, something like that. This is still a premium draft pick that the team is on on track to have. And, you know, just on Patterson's game last night, he scores the one-timer. And just as someone who likes watching hockey, man, that was awesome to see, right? Because when Patterson clicks on that one-timer, it is fun and it looks great. I do think it's interesting, though, because I, I, I kind of think the the one-timer has always been overrated in terms of something that makes Elias Pettersson special, right? Like, if you were to go down the list of what are the traits that Elias Pettersson has that makes him a potential superstar, I would have his one-timer pretty far down there. He can be a great, great player without ever connecting with that one-timer. But right now, I, something you said that really clicked with me, Drancer, was he just wasn't having any fun out there. And you know what I bet is really, really fun? Scoring an awesome labeled one-timer on the power play like that. So right now, even if you know the one-timer is not actually the most important part of his game, that's not the thing they need to get going. I thought the fact that he drew two penalties last night was probably a much better indicator of his game heading in the right direction. Just, if he's having fun, anything that feels good for Elias Pedersen and helps get his confidence up right now, that is Massive for that player.
1: I think there's no question. And and look, you, you need guys to have some fun. You need guys to have some buy-in. You need Vancouver to be a place that anyone wants to play ever. You know, like that all matters. That all matters. And so yep. you know, again, we're not calling for the Canucks to make a St. Louis Blues streak to the twenty, you know, the fifteenth draft lottery odds. But getting up, getting back up to something like, like fifth? Like, getting playing at a point-per-game pace, having some fun, watching Elias Pettersson's game round out, right? Again, to, be, to watching Elias Pettersson as the player that he is and has been for most of his career, despite what's gone on in the last 20 games, you know, that matters. Like, that does matter. In the big picture for me, in fact, it's the biggest story to watch over the balance of this Canucks season.
0: Yeah, it is a massive story. Uh, lots of texts coming in, 650, 650, to the Dunbar Lumber text line. We'll keep reading your texts. Plus, I want to I challenge something you said on the show yesterday, Dranser. I'll do that, and we'll get into uh, looking ahead to the Ottawa game on Wednesday as well. That's all coming up next. It's Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. It's the Canucks Hour Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drantz here with you for another half hour. Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. And, Drancer, we were talking in the first segment about... Look, we all know, everyone knows, playoffs is not a realistic consideration for this team. But my point was, that doesn't mean the games are completely meaningless from an on-ice perspective. Because you still want to see Elias Pettersson, first and foremost, continue the step forward that he took in last night's game. But you want to see rebounds from other players, too. I mean, Brock Besser is a name that comes to mind. And, you know, people, some people are pushing back a little bit against that idea, right? Cam in Victoria says... I think people would be happier with the Canucks rebounding a bit if they knew it wouldn't save the management regime. And Jimson on Twitter, at Jimson Hogarth, texts in, nothing is more important than a management change. Getting EP40 going is like a side dish compared to getting competent management in Vancouver. And I agree that the biggest story around this team, by far, is what are they going to do to set a new direction for the franchise Whatever, that, whatever shape that takes, right? whatever changes they decide to make, getting the right direction, getting the right people in charge, yes, that is the biggest story. So I'm not saying that Elias Pedersen playing better for the remainder of the season trumps that. It doesn't. I completely understand that. Now, as to the concern that you know, the team playing at an 85-point pace for the rest of the year, or a 90-point pace even for the rest of the year, will save jobs and prevent that new direction from happening... Look, I know it's been a couple weeks and nothing has happened, so some fans are getting nervous that want change, that think it's not going to come. But I don't think just, you know, let's say they win in Ottawa tomorrow. I don't think that's changing anything. Let's say they win, you know, six of their next ten games. I'm not sure if that's changing anything. I'm not an insider, so I can't report that with any certainty. But just me reading the tea leaves about how this has gone, I think the concern that one or two wins here or there is going to change... What's coming for this team, I think that concern is a little misplaced. I, mean, <laughs> I don't think any concern about this team is misplaced
1: <laughs> in terms of arbitrary direction, to be totally honest with you, Jamie. It should be misplaced. It should be a non-starter for any right thinking person or owner. But is it? I mean, I don't I think it is. I think I think I think tipi- I think this season has gone so badly, so decisively that it doesn't really matter if they rebound from this wobble or not in terms of necessitating change, um, you were going to have to make a decision anyway. You know what I mean? Like you were going to have a lame duck coach and a lame duck GM after this season, regardless. Right. So this was sort of a pressure point anyway. And there's just no way anyone's going to look at the balance of work this season and say that was acceptable. There's just no way. Right. There better not be. You think there's
0: better not be. You think there's no way. And again, look again maybe I'm being naive You'd have to maybe be. I'm being naive, <laughs> but I just I don't see i and again, just based on all the reporting that we've heard about the you know the wheels being in motion and them reaching out to different candidates and doing their due diligence. To me, it does and the seem... limited
1: autonomy that's already yes.
0: come. Like yes, you know, you know, it's. I, I do think
1: that at this point we're we're in the end game now. It's just that that end game might be protracted yeah. and might play out in a way that's every bit as dysfunctional as this
0: season has been. And look, uh, which I, I, which is its own disappointment. As you said, at a certain point, all bets are off. So it does become kind of foolhardy to try to predict what this franchise is going to do. So. Maybe, maybe I'm backtracking, maybe you have me second-guessing myself, but I still, as much as I understand the concern <laughs> from the listeners, I do still think that those changes are coming. Uh, I wanted to read this one from Reg as well. He says, I'm sorry, I can't get positive about this team at all after one win over the Montreal Canadiens. It's not even December yet, and we're talking about how the playoffs are a distant memory and unattainable. This is pathetic. You need to tear this organization down from the yes, top, get a president, get a GM, get a coach, then worry about some players. And Reg, I'm not arguing with you on those points. Like, it is unacceptable that this team is in this position. They do need massive changes that go far beyond player personnel. Completely, completely agree with you. I'm not trying to you know, polish a turd here, Reg, and tell you that actually things are going to be okay with this team. Not at all. All I'm saying (laughs) is you still want your key young players to be good. You want them to play well, fundamentally. And it's important that Elias Pettersson plays well down the stretch for this season. Uh, And just before we move on, uh, Donkey the Roofer texts in, Drancer just said the Canucks won't catch Arizona at the bottom of the standings. Bet it's not out of the realm of possibility. I'll be saving this text. And I hope you do, Donkey. And if uh, if uh, the the Canucks do find a way to catch Arizona at the bottom, maybe you and Drancer can work out a bet of some sort well on that. I, you point. know, I will say the coyotes do have a game in hand. There you go. Hey <laughs> it's only Antoine Roussel. Yeah. Antoine Roussel, he scored a goal for the game winner. So... Let's go. They only hey, got...
1: I, I want to talk really quickly about the least sexy topic possible. Let's do okay? it. I want to talk about Luke Shen really quickly. All right. Okay? And this is what I want to say about Luke Shen. Luke Shen is on a two-year deal at 850 k right? He represents 17% the total investment of the Tucker Pullman contract. He represents 33% of the AAV of the Tucker Pullman contract. He represents 50% of the total term of the Tucker Pullman contract. And he represents 200% of the effectiveness on a pair with Quinn Hughes, as Tucker Pullman, right? He's been good. Like he—he's per- people. People yeah. say stuff though. Like it's only two point five million. It's only two point five million, right? People say stuff like that a lot, right? But two point five million for a like—it's a plug and play quality player. Like you—you you can get that quality player off waivers. Those kill you, especially if you just jettisoned three guys that meet the match that description, who were overpaid and had too much term, and took on the Ekman Larson contract to achieve it. Like, ah, that—that is the stuff. That is the stuff that necessitates change and will necessitate change at the end of the season, regardless of how the Canucks play. I think over the balance is just the consistent inefficiency of spend versus outcome. Like the league-low ROI that this management group has driven over the course of Jim Benning's eight years here. And, and it's, that, that is the part that makes this clear to, to me. And, and I'm sure at some point, any owner looking at the balance sheet, at the end of the season when their GM has one year left on the deal is going to conclude the same, even if that change should be made with a much more proactive sort of verve than the Canucks have shown to this point.
0: And it's so noticeable on the blue line in particular, Tranter, which is not to, you know, excuse any moves that happened at the forward group, right? Because you know, Louis Erickson, Beagle, Roussel. We we just saw those guys playing here last year. But just the the consistent inability to find cost effective long term solutions on the blue line, that to me is gonna be the through line of this management's tenure. In Vancouver, when you look back, you know, starting with Lucas Pisa and now leading all the way through to Tucker Pullman, it has been just such a consistent refrain for this team. And again, I'm not saying it's been perfect elsewhere by any stretch of the imagination, but it's just so it hasn't
1: been perfect. Where What do you
0: mean by elsewhere? Who uh, else has
1: had as bad a blue line as the Canucks? Oh, no, no, no. no. I'm saying it hasn't
0: been perfect. Their work elsewhere on the roster.
1: Oh, <laughs> yeah. no, 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 no. no. Okay. I'm not comparing it to other okay. teams.
0: No, no, no. I'm not, I'm yeah. saying by singling out the defense, I'm not saying the work has been great other, other places on the roster. That's what I'm saying. No. But it's just, it's, no. it's the, for me, it's the most jarring when you look at the succession of players that have come through on the blue line. Yeah. It's abysmal.
1: Like, you have to be able to evaluate defensemen. Yeah. And you have to be able to evaluate character better than the Canucks have. Like, much better than the Canucks have. You're dead in the water if you can't do those things. And the worst part is that it seems to apply to their own players. You know, like, it's one thing to miss on a Tucker Pullman, but it's another thing to miss on the importance of a Chris Tanev. You know, like, the uh, Chris Tanev you saw every day. You know? Yeah. Like, it's, it's more important to not miss on a guy like Ole Olevy. You know, if you don't have a sense of a guy's character and think, hey, there's a risk that this guy might not be in shape or might not be dedicated enough to be our third pair penalty killing option, then you need to have another penalty killing option for your third pair. Like you can't have Devontae Stevens, who's never played in the NHL, as like the guy beneath Hunt and Rathbone. You know, you need to have Luke Shen, but left-handed, ready to go. You need to have that body in camp. Like that's the stuff that just baffles me, boggles my mind. The fact that you see Lucas Pisa for a year and extend him, you know the fact that it took you three years to realize who Good Branson was, um, you know, Pullman Pullman at four years, I mean that's an unforced error, yep, uh, a really unfortunate one. Five point five on him and Hamnett combined, and your biggest issue is you know the tire fire that is your your right side with Luke Shen being the best answer at eight hundred and fifty k, like. It, when you when you think it through, when you just like look at it, even just look at it on cap friendly, it it is so far from acceptable and so outside the bounds of how winning teams operate. And and the example that I love to give, like, you know, we're we're getting a lot of texts in actually to this effect. And I talked a little about it a little bit on Halford and Bruff today, is the idea of like rebuild now, right? And you know, the Canucks do need to build a blue line. They do need to have a lot more talent coming. And in the system than they do, but like the the thing to note is you know how the Carolina Hurricanes managed to replace Dougie Hamilton, one of the best offensive defenders in hockey, without even breaking stride in terms of their quality. And and they did so at the cost of like being willing to deal with Anthony D'Angelo, which yeah, I mean, fair enough. That's a high cost. And yeah, that's not nothing to be fair. that's not nothing. No, yeah. I'm not, and I'm not trying to minimize it. Yeah, and and the cost of Warren Fogel, who they weren't even going to qualify, which brought them in Ethan Bear. That's three million total for Bear, who's their matchup righty, five on five, and D'Angelo, who's their power play righty, to replace what Hamilton brought there. It's just like boom, they did it in the aggregate for three million. Canucks have five point five spent on Pullman and Hamannik. Like the the gap in ROI there is just mind blowing. Like you have to, you have to, absolutely have to find a way to do better than that.
0: Yeah, again, the blue line is the the one that stands out consistently over the years to me. Now, yesterday on the show, Drancer, the word of the day, your word of the day or phrase of the day on the show was total failure, right? To describe what is going on with this franchise. You you know, you don't look even to the, the record that the Abbotsford Canucks have right now. It's not good. It is up and down this organization where a certain standard is just not being met. And it's pretty hard to argue with the points you're making. Watching the game last night. If there is one part of this organization that deserves an asterisk, and you tell me if it even does deserve an asterisk on the total failure moniker, is it Thatcher Demko and the goaltending department in a larger sense for this organization? I mean, what do you mean? Because Thatcher, the, the one, you, we look back to the offseason after the bubble, right? And the departures and how those departures, by and large, ended up being disastrous, right? With Chris Tanev and Tyler Toffoli leaving, the one place where they have handled the transition is from Markstrom to Demko, right? And you look in the pipeline, that's probably the one place where you at least feel at least okay about the prospects they have coming in their prospect pipeline. Is that can you even my my question is can you even say is it fair to point at that as a legitimate area of success for this franchise right now? Sure, ish,
1: ish. Like, the the problem is, is I think, I think the goalies are good players, and I think they've performed well. And I think Ian Clark is a good coach, and he's coached them well. And I think their usage of goaltenders is contemporary. I think the way that they handle rest is solid, right? So yes, right? Fine, qualified. But I think when you look back, like, Markstrom is outperforming Demko this season. He's killing it. But show. more than that. But more than that, they lost Markstrom for nothing. Like, you know, you can't lose caliber. Like, when you have two comparable items and a pressure point like the expansion draft, like, ideally, you mine some value out of one of them, because both of them would have had a ton of value, right? Especially if especially if you believe, like, is Demko, is Demko so great that you wouldn't want to have Markstrom now? Or would you rather have Markstrom plus what Demko would have brought in a trade? Like, in, in a vacuum, I think it's a pretty straightforward answer. I'd add, then, that the contract that Yaroslav Halak signed is going to have these bonuses that kick yep. in and spill over in the next year. That's going to be a $1.5 million hit, most likely, assuming that his form stays the level it's been and he hits the other 250 k bonus for a save percentage. I say he'll do that. He's looked decent to me. Like, he's looked Competent to me. I think he'll be over 905. I think he'll trigger the full $1.5 million bonus because the Canucks are an LTI. That will get tacked on to next year, which creates a necessity to do what, Jamie? It creates a necessity to promote Mike DiPietro, right? So Mike DiPietro, who had this entire two 2021 season wasted as their third goalie, played four games because the team didn't want to spend the 700k required to bring in like a Scott Wedgwood, a third goaltender just to live on the taxi squad. A veteran guy lost a full year of development is is playing decently in the AHL, right? He's got nine twelve save percentage, played seven games. Like he he's a good goaltender, he's a really good prospect, but they're going to be accelerating his development curve and throwing him into a backup role, after having with him having only had. Like one full season of American League hockey this year, because one was interrupted by the pandemic and the other season he only played four games because the team didn't structure getting a backup, you know, done. And and so he's going to be rushed into the NHL because of a cap necessity. Like, is that the position you really want to be in with a goaltender of that caliber at that age? Uh, I don't think so. So even even on that side, like, yeah, I think you're right. Qualified. They've had success in goal. They've managed the transition well. They've consistently had at least average and usually better goaltending. That's been a strength of this team, and it's been a strength of this team now for 15 years. Somehow, uh, they've clearly <laughs> moved yeah. past the goal, the old goalie graveyard, right? That was the Brian Burke <laughs> era and, and before everything that came after Kirk McLean, basically. So, you know, sure, partial credit, but when you look at the structural, when you look at the structural hole right you see lost value in terms of the starter you lost right you see a situation in which the team did not minimize asset value at a moment in their build like in their team construction where like kind of maximizing value was everything right a, a little bit of bleed blood value with a with a key ufa departure a little bit of odd cap management in the in or at least or at least win now type cap management with the yaroslav halak deal Right, which which now like that one point five million dollar bonus is going to accrue this season and the Canucks are already done by December? Yeah. Like that's not worth it. Yeah. That's not worth it. And then and then you're talking about rush development for D. Pietro, which sort of is the cascading impact of those other two structural issues. So, you know, even even when the team has a strength, an organizational strength, and players perform up to their abilities, you can look at it and just say, That's a mess. That's all a mess
0: the on-ice no ice, I, I mean
1: what you you disagree with anyth- no, anything no the
0: on-ice the point is as you said it's a qualified success right and it's in large part sure. only qualified because of the off-ice machinations right the on-ice is a, I, I would argue is a success right Thatcher Demko is a fantastic goalie right and obviously that partnership between him and Ian Clark is an extremely effective one but to your point it's been undermined with what they've done around that and when you can't even have just a full unqualified win at what has been your strongest position, I mean, I think that <laughs> speaks that speaks wonders about the larger state of the team. So I completely agree with you. On ice, a success, but as you laid out, there are a lot of off ice factors that have undercut how impactful that success has I, actually I didn't even been bring for up the, the Holpe team. Contract. Yeah, I didn't even bring up the Holpe contract. Yeah, no, exactly. like I forgot it. One, exactly. of a, one of our
1: texters reminded me. <laughs>
0: Um, quickly before we go, you want to talk a little bit about the Ottawa game tomorrow. Okay. Here's what I want to say. I, I was texting with a
1: former Canucks player today and they, they made a really good point. I just loved it. Um, and it was, it was as follows. Uh, the NHL is always better when the Canucks are at the top and everyone hates them, but their own fans. (laughs) 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 And it just, it's, that's so true. Like it's so true. And, Tomorrow, like, I'm headed on a train to Ottawa in half an hour. And I'm really looking forward to it. I love the train. But I'm going to cover this game in Ontario between the Vancouver Canucks and the Ottawa Senators, two of the bottom five teams in the NHL. And it's hard to care about that game. Down the highway, like, down the highway of heroes in Toronto, right, the Colorado Avalanche are coming to visit the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, the... Where do you think the eyes of the casual fan, where do you think the eyes of the hockey world are going to be? Two games in the same province, the Canucks playing in one of them, and no one's going to care at all about that Vancouver Auto game. Like, barely even their own fans, right? Meanwhile, these two Ferrari hockey teams are going to be slugging it out. You know, and and obviously, look, it's it's Leafs Avalanche, so you you know you know that it's going to be blown up as like a
0: potential
1: Stanley Cup yep. final preview, right? Like and, it's a referendum the on the Leafs, Leafs. First round.
0: It's a referendum
1: on the right. Leafs transfer. <laughs> the Leafs will still lose in the first round, but but you know that's going to be the hype. There's going to be hype and attention and interest. In this game, in this big game, in the type of games, in the type of regular season games, like those hyped, super heavyweight tilts that this team used to play 10 years ago and hasn't played in forever now. And it's going to be happening happening in the same province that the Canucks play the Ottawa Senators, having gone from, you know, the Dysfunction Bowl in Montreal last night to the Irrelevant Bowl in Ottawa tomorrow, that just sort of draws this like triple red underline under a season that's just so unacceptable in terms of the not just the level of form but like the level of of meaning that this team represents at the moment and and for me just looking at the schedule just thinking about it just being like oh well you know what it's fine i'll just watch that game on on nhl.com like oh I'll, I'll watch that game on sportsnet now yeah as the as i'm covering live this canucks senators game and i'm just thinking that's awful like that just sucks but that's where we're at and i just wanted to bring it up because it makes me furious like it just infuriates me that that's what's become of this Canucks franchise that's where they're at And so I I wanted to leave us with that happy note (laughs) on that happy note. After a Canucks win, I wanted to underline
0: how little tomorrow's game matters. No, we were far too positive today, Drancer. So I'm glad you got us out on that note, but you're right. And, and as much as I was outlining earlier in the show, why there is still some import to the remainder of these games, they're not playing in any, they're they're not playing in any big games. And that ultimately is what fans want. Right. And they want big games in the playoffs, even more than the regular season. But you're right. Just the complete lack of league wide, relevance for the Canucks it does suck a lot of the fun about it and I do like this text comes in I was gonna say uh that you're not getting all fired up for a heritage classic rematch between you know the two historic rivals the Ottawa Senators and the Vancouver Canucks unsigned text text in as well uh Drance doesn't see the appeal of the Michael Delzato revenge game come on that's not doing it for you Drance or Adam Gaudet revenge game now that he's with the Senators that's, oh, will people actually hyped? see it, or will it be will he will he be scratched again? I, I I would probably guess the latter. There,
1: <laughs> he might
0: get in. Hey, you know what? If if Godet plays, then then I'm into it. Then then it's uh you know then it's must see TV. If Adam Godet yeah. is going to be in the lineup, all right, Dranzer, enjoy. Actually though, actually though, if, if that happens, like yeah, then I'm actually interested. I will say. All right. I love it. Enjoy the train to Ottawa, buddy. We will connect with you tomorrow. Looking forward more to the Ottawa game, everything else happening with this team. We will be back at 11. That's going to do it for us. You've listened to the Canucks Hour on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.